Okay, praise the Lord. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I want to thank you and praise you. I want to thank you and praise you for your word, which you revealed yourself in truth to us through the word. And I want to thank you for the word and ask you to bless it tonight as we read it and study it. And we learn more about you and your ways that we may walk in them. And I praise you and thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. It's amazing how many times you can read the Word of God and read it and read it and read it and then read it again and you get a whole new revelation on something. Well, that happened to me. This outline that I've got here, I have used this to teach from and everything else. And I was reading and studying this last night and today. And something just jumped off the page of me. Two or three things jumped off the page of me. I thought, how do I read this stuff and not see this? You know, how can I possibly read it that many times and all of a sudden I see something brand new for the first time? Are you like me? You've done that before too, have you? All the time. (laughs) Well, uh, tonight I'm going to go back to the book of Job, chapter 32, and I'm going to read something again. And, of course, I'm going to be reading out the NLT because this is where I saw this. It's amazing. It's amazing how many times I had read this in the King James, but had never seen these things. But when I began to read them in the NLT, I began to see these things. And when I checked them out with several other translations, I found out that's what it says. But it's amazing how God is making His Word so simple to us. So I want you to listen to what He has to say here. Uh, Elihu, his response to Job's friends. That's what this is. Now, Elihu, this is the fourth person in the, you know, Job. You know Job had three friends. And we all know the first part of Job. Everybody reads the first two or three chapters of the book of Job and sees about Job's trials and tests and how he was a perfect and upright man in all his ways and all those things. But then when Job got sick, after he did get sick, after he had the problem and all of his family got killed and all of his... uh, Stuff was stolen or tore up, and he, he, he came from being a wonderful family man with uh, ten children and uh, all this power and wealth and everything he had, one of the wealthiest men in the country. And overnight, he wound up with nothing but a nagging wife. And that's all he had left was a nagging wife. And so, man, you talk about the devil coming against him every way in the world. I mean, if there's any time he needed a loving wife, it was at this time. But he didn't even have that. So he was really come against. And then after he seemed to pass his test, God put him to another test. And this time it was sickness and disease upon his body. So obviously, Job didn't learn his lesson with the first test. So this second test came upon him. And he was so bad, of course, back in those days, we had no doctors or nothing like that to go to. So, praise the Lord, y'all come in. But anyway, whenever this sickness and disease, it says the devil afflicted him with sores and boils. And so from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, and I can only imagine how bad Job looked. In fact, when his three friends came to visit him, When they looked at him the first time, he looked so bad, they just sat and looked at him for seven days and didn't even say a word. So he must have really looked bad. I I can't imagine that. You know, I can't imagine going to visit somebody 
and sitting there with them and just looking at them for seven days, I, I can't even fathom that. But that's what the Bible says happened to these men. And then, of course, uh, Job uh, got over uh, this problem or is getting over this problem. And these men are uh, actually, before he gets over the problem, these men begin to tell him all kinds of things that he's done wrong. And Job doesn't agree with them uh, on those things. So anyway, after all of this discussion between these three men and what they were saying, finally this little guy, this young guy, Elihu, comes on the scene. And he's sitting there with these guys. Now then, I want you to listen to what he has to say. Now he's very, very true in what he says. But I want you to listen to what he says And this is Elihu's response to the three friends of Job. It said, Job's three friends refused to reply further to him because he kept insisting on his innocence. I'm not guilty. I haven't done anything wrong. You know, I'm I'm holy. I'm upright in all that I do, and I don't do nothing wrong. This is what Job was saying. Then Elihu, the son of whatever... Uh, the Buzite, or Buzite, or however you say that, of the clan of Rams, he became angry. Now, Elihu became angry. He was angry because Job refused to admit that he had sinned and that God was right in punishing him. Now, he refused to acknowledge the fact that he was a sinner. I've not sinned. I've not done anything wrong. And we think Job was upright in all his ways because the Bible did say that. He was also angry with Job's three friends because they had condemned God, condemned God by their maturity to answer Job's arguments. Now, when you start taking the place of God, you've got a real problem. You know, and when you start condemning God and say, God, you wasn't just in what you did here with this man. And some people do that. But look what he says here. Elihu had waited for the others to speak because they were older than he was. And he was right in doing that. The young men should sit back and wait for the older men that's supposed to have wisdom and knowledge in the church to make their statements. Young men are supposed to be quiet. Young women are supposed to be quiet. And you're supposed to listen to your elders. Now, there's supposed to be wisdom in age. And in some cases that's true, where Elihu waited for the others to speak because they were older than he. But when he saw that they had no further reply, he spoke out angrily. Now listen. Elihu, the son of the Buzites, said, I am young and you are old. So I held back and did not dare to tell you what I think. I thought... Those who are older should speak, for wisdom comes with age. Now, that should be the way it is. That should be the way it is. But it is surely, it is God's Spirit within people, the breath of the Almighty within them, that makes them intelligent. Now then, think about what he said there. Surely, it's the Spirit of God that lives within you, the breath of God that's in you, that makes you intelligent. Now, you may be 90 years old... If you don't have the breath of God in you, you really do not have any wisdom or really super good intelligence. 
Now, you may be intelligent. The world may think you're intelligent about a lot of things. But you don't have wisdom because wisdom comes from God only. And so, now then, if you take a man or a woman, but supposedly it's supposed to be with men. When you take a man and he studies God's Word, if he takes the Word of God and spends time with God, God is going to give that man wisdom to rule over his family. He, I mean, the wisdom God's going to give him as the man studies the Word. Now, if the man does not study the Word of God, he cannot know God short of the Word of God. When people tell me, I know God, I say, well, how much time do you spend with God in the Word? Well, I mean, I don't read the Bible. I go to church, but I don't read the Bible. Well, I'm going to tell you, your knowledge and of knowing God is almost zero. Because God and the Word are one. So, without knowing the Word, you don't know who God is. You know, it's just like the young man here a while back that I would come up to, and he's working on a big forklift there. And I walked up to him, and I said, Son, are you a Christian? Well, he said, uh, Yeah. I said, well, you don't sound, you know, very sure of it. I said, where do you go to church? He said, I don't go to church. He said, me and God got a deal. I said, son, God don't make no deals. God made a deal, and it's in His Word, and if you don't do it His way, it don't get done. He said, well, I don't believe that. I said, so is your God Jesus Christ? He said, no, I don't believe in Jesus. I said, well, then you can't go to heaven. He said, oh, yeah. I'm going to go to heaven because I've been a good guy. I said, no, you've been deceived by the God of this world, and you cannot go to heaven short of Jesus Christ. Now, I just dealt with a man yesterday that believed that same thing. That man came to the ministry center to pick up tapes and CDs, him and a woman. They stopped by, and I'm grateful that they stopped because I got to minister to this man and this woman from New Mexico for two hours yesterday, and my whole I mean, they'd heard about God doing miracles through our ministry. So they wanted to come by and get some of our teaching, which is great. And they couldn't believe I'd give it away free. So they loaded up with a whole bunch of stuff. I told them, that's good. Take all of it you want. You know, so they did. They loaded up. But I talked to them and talked to them and talked to them about Jesus, about making Jesus Lord of their life. He said, no. He said, I, I don't want to do that. But he said, I'm going to heaven. I said, no, son, you ain't going to heaven. I said, he said, I'm a good guy. He said, I stop and help people on the side of the road. You know, I do all kinds of good things for people. I said, well, that's good, but that won't get you to heaven. He said, now look, God is love, and he would never send me to hell if I don't do, if I don't accept Jesus. I said, oh, yes. I said, you know, when you die, you'll be judged according to the word of God. And if you don't make Jesus Lord of your life, I can assure you, you will spend eternity in a godless hell. And I said, all you got to do right here is accept Jesus. Call on the name of Jesus by faith, and he will save you. And, of course, I told them that over and over and over and over. We talked about it for two hours. And finally, we walked out to the car, and they're getting ready to leave. And I said, one more time, would you, ma'am? I said, would you like to make Jesus Lord of your life? And she said, well, I don't think so right now. I looked at the young man. How about you? He says, no, me either. I said, I'm going to tell you all one more time. If you get killed on the way home, both of you are going to spend eternity in a godless hell. And don't you say that when you stand before the throne of grace, Lord, I didn't know because the minute you tell him, he's going to say, on October the 16th of 2006, I sent one of my sons and he told you ten times what I required and you turned me down every time. So he said, into hell with both of you. 
And the woman said, well, now, if we get 90 or 100 miles down the road and I decide to ask Jesus to come into my heart, will He still save me? I said, oh, yeah. He'll come in. So as they drove off, I said, Lord, may that Holy Spirit that's convicting her right now continue to convict both of them until both of them come to know You as their Lord and Savior. But it's amazing how that people will turn down this magnificent free gift of Jesus Christ. And yet, that's the most important thing that we do. But anyway, uh, he says, if, if this, the Spirit, the breath of the Almighty God that lives in us is what brings and puts intelligence and wisdom within us. Now then, if you have men, and I mean, I mean if you have men that are not men of God, I mean, they may laugh and cut up and joke and play dominoes and, and all kinds of cussing and everything else, and they may have a lot of knowledge about a lot of things, but they don't have any intelligence about the kingdom of God. You can't sit down and talk to those men about the kingdom of God. They don't know nothing about it. And what's so strange is a lot of men that are 60 and 70 and 80 years old that have been to church every Sunday still don't have any intelligence about God. You know that? I've talked to a lot of them. And that's so devastating to me to think. But here is a group of men the same way. These three men obviously have spent some time with God. And so this young man thinks that these older men should have this intelligence. So he's not saying anything. He's waiting for these older men to speak. And they do. And everything they do obviously is wrong. So now this young man sitting there... And obviously, he has the Spirit of the living God in him. He really knows the Lord. And so, since the Spirit of God is upon him, he has the intelligence that these other men lack. So, he's listened to them, and it's not happening. So, he says, sometimes, after he talks about you should have this intelligence, but sometimes the elders are not wise. I mean, hey, that's a case in a lot of our churches today. The elders are not wise because they don't study God's Word. I mean, they may be deacons in the, in the church. You know, they may be an elder in the church. They may live there a long time. And they may come to church pretty often, maybe every Sunday. But some of those men, when it comes to spiritual intelligence about the Word of God, they don't have any. They know so little. And what a shame. I know I was one of those for a long time. Then it says, sometimes the aged do not understand justice. And we don't. We don't understand this. So listen to me and let me express my opinions. I have waited all this time listening very carefully to your arguments. Listening to you grope for words. I have listened. But not one of you has refuted Job or answered his argument. Not one. And don't tell me he is too wise for us. For God can, convict, can convince him. If Job had been arguing with me, I would not answer with this kind of logic. You sit there baffled. With no further response, should I continue to wait now that you are silent? Must I also remain silent? No, I will say my peace. I will speak my mind. 
I surely will, for I am pent up and full of words. And the Spirit within me urges me on as I am like a wise person without a vent. My words are ready to burst out. I must speak to find relief. So let me give my answer. I won't play favorites or try to flatter anyone. And if I tried, my Creator would soon do away with me. Now, wait a minute. Right there, I really got something when I read that. I thought, let me think about what you just said there, Lord. I must speak my peace, what you've given me from the Word. If I refuse to speak what you've given me in the Word, and if I refuse to give my answers, and if I play favoritism to try to flatter someone, look what he says. And if I tried to do that, my Creator would soon do away with me. Can you imagine that? If you start trying to do something to flatter someone or to show favoritism with people, God says here in His Word that He will do away with you. Take you away. See? That means we better tell it like it is. Just exactly, isn't it? Now, when the Spirit of God comes upon you, it's amazing what will happen when the Spirit of God comes upon you. In fact, I had an experience last night that I thought was very unique. I know God's been giving Cheryl, my wife, some very unique discerning of spirits and speaking to her in strange ways. And, and sometimes he's really doing some work in her. And, of course, one of the things he's done in her just recently, uh, she was having a problem with some people. And we'd already gone to bed, and she's laying there talking, and, and we, it was in the wee hours of the morning. And as we're laying there talking, you know, she's talking about someone and something that they had done that she didn't like. And she said, what should I do about this situation? And I'm almost asleep, but the Spirit of God moved on, on me as my head fell over and I went to snoring. I said, remember, love remembers no wrongs, as I went to sleep. And then she lay there thinking, oh, God, those last words he spoke before he started snoring, I've got to forget what these people said. I've got to love them regardless of whether I like it or not. He's working on her heart, teaching her things. And as she's dealing with those things and getting right with God, he's giving her more and more wonderful things. And then last night, we had a very unique experience we went out to have a bite to eat yesterday, and after we after we ate, we came back, and of course, I got a, a to-go glass of iced tea to take with me, and we got back to the ministry center, and I got out of the car and went somewhere. I didn't remember where I went, and I, I, I guess I took my tea with me, but I got busy. Somebody hollered at me and everything else, and so I, I got off on a tangent, and we got to doing 900 things and going this way and that way. And finally, last night, when we got settled down, after we got through with everything we were doing, it's almost midnight. And one of them, uh, I think Yesha, she said, why don't we pop some popcorn? I said, great. I didn't realize it was midnight. Of course, we usually don't have popcorn until 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning. That's pretty normal. But anyway, she said, hey, what about if we pop some popcorn? I said, great. Oh, I thought my iced tea. 
I'll drink, when I see the iced tea, it was iced tea five hours ago or six hours ago. But I knew it was in a sealed container, a plastic deal. And I thought, what did I do with that cup of iced tea? I'd love to have that iced tea, you know, to, to, to drink with my popcorn. So I went out. I thought I left it in the car. I went out in the car. It ain't in the car. So I come in my office and I said, I, I looked everywhere. I thought, what did I do with that cup of tea? I know I didn't drink with one or two swallows out of that. So I went down and sat down. Cheryl said, what are you looking for? I said, my iced tea. I said, I have no idea what I've done with it. She sat there for a minute and she says, oh, the Spirit of God just spoke to me. It's in the, sitting on the sink in the bathroom, the first bathroom back there in the back. I thought, I'm going to find out if God's talking to her right now. I'm fixing to find out. Uh, <laughs> there you go. I really knew he was talking to her, but anyway, this is the way to find out if you're really hearing, right? I get up. I don't say a word to nobody. I walk out, walk down the hall, and walk into the first bathroom. and sitting right there on the sinks, my glass of iced tea. I've been sitting there six hours. Now, how do I know that God told her? I mean, I mean, she didn't know I was looking for it. And I come and she says, what are you looking for? I said, my glass of iced tea. I said, I, I thought I left in the car. I thought I left in my office. I thought, she said, well, you surely left in your office. I said, no, I looked. It's not in my office. So we sat there and I made the popcorn for a few minutes. She said, oh, the Lord just spoke to me. He told me it's in that first bathroom sitting on the sink. I jumped up and ran back there and there it sat, right there. Isn't that amazing? Oh, okay, okay. So I didn't know you asked him. See, I didn't hear that because I didn't hear her say that. But she asked the Lord, now see, what was the mistake that I did? I didn't ask the Lord where the tea was. See, I'm going to, I'm going to depend on my own energy and efforts to find it. But she went a step further and she asked and he told her instead of me. Isn't that amazing? Who would ever think God would be so concerned about things like this? Well, when the Spirit of God is upon you, I can think of, I can think of times, one time for sure comes to mind when I was down in Houston. I was redoing a building down there, and we needed a particular item of some kind. And I told the truck mechanic, I was up in the building, and I said, you know, we need something. I told him what it was. He said, oh, I got one of them in the shop. I said, well, go get it. We need it to do this job. He was gone 30 minutes or 45 minutes, and he finally come back, and he said, Thurman, I, I know I've got that thing down there somewhere, but I've looked that shop over from top to bottom, and I can't find it. I said, did you ask the Lord to show you where it was? No. I said, well, go back down there and stand right in the middle of the shop. And say, Father, in Jesus' name, show me where that part is that I need. And then I said, start turning around the shop. And I said, whenever you feel the Spirit quicken you, I said, go over there and look, and you'll find it right there somewhere in that general area. He wasn't gone five minutes. And he came back. He said, man, that worked. He said, I got there and I'm turning around and said, all of a sudden I knew it was right there. And so I went over to the cabinet, opened it, looked in the back, and there it was right there. He said, man, this works great. Well, I mean, did God tell us to ask? Yeah. So why do we be a dummy like I was and look all over for the place and not ask? See, you see how we can be, right? You say, oh, you man of faith, and you didn't even think to ask. Well, I didn't. So I'm just as, you know, dense sometimes as... I can be, it seems like, but thank God, Cheryl asked. And when she asked, the Lord revealed it to her. And I thought, how awesome this is. Because I got up and went back there. And that's exactly where it was sitting, right there on that sink in the bathroom. Now then, 
If we have the Spirit of God within us today, whether you be male or female, the Spirit of God will move and do great and wonderful things. But you've got to believe He will. You can't doubt that God will do things. And you know, <clears throat> in fact, I had two men out there today that I was dealing with, two fine men of God, both dedicated church members, and one of them's a worship leader in a huge church here in the Metroplex. And I was ministering to them, and whenever I told one simple little story about something that God did for me just recently, you know, as I, well, in fact, I'll tell, tell you what I told them. I told them about the little girl that had the great faith, that little teenager that came here that I prayed for her brother in August, and then last week he was here. The boy had been a vegetable for five months, and I said, I prayed, and last Saturday the boy come to a healing school from Minnesota, and and. Both of them, and especially the worship leader in this big church, he said, you don't mean it. I said, that's not going to do much good for you to pray many prayers of faith. Because <laughs> I said, your faith is limited. But see, we don't believe God can do these things. He said, you know, you're absolutely right. He said, you know, we're supposed to be serving the King of Kings. He said, I lead a huge church in worship and praise. And said, so we get so caught up in worship and praise. He said, if there's anybody in the church ought to believe God can do something, it ought to be me. I said, that's right. It ought to be you. But I said, when you get to where you believe He can do those things after you worshiped and praised Him like that, there will be nothing that He won't do for you. I said, so you've got to get there. So anyway... Uh, it's, it's amazing how we get caught up. In, in, in fact, uh, I'll tell you, I think about the, the, the man's problem. He had a spirit of fear. Here he is a leader in a big church with a spirit of fear. And it's, it's so, you know, torments him. And as we talked, I told him, I said, you know, go back in your life and tell me when something might have happened that might have opened your spirit. When, when you were young, what did you do? He said, well, it's easy. I can remember the thing that put the, I mean, that made me the most fearful I've ever been. I said, what was that? He said, when my brother was playing with some uh, matches and stuff and lighting some little fires and said, I had a gallon can of thinner. And he said, I threw it down there. And I told him, I said, well, probably the devil's the one told you to do that. But he threw that can, that gallon can of thinner right at the feet of his brother and immediately was engulfed in flames. And he said, although we got my brother put out, finally he spent about three months in the hospital. So he was burned very severely. And he said, I was petrified. I said, and right there is when your spirit opened and that demon of hell entered you right there. I said, now then, all you got to do is repent for that. And, of course, uh, I built his faith with the Word of God and all the promises of God. I was with him probably four hours today. And then we cast out those spirits, and they left, uh, and the young man was totally different. Uh, I, I said, we just forget who we are. You know, I said, we're sons of God, you know, but we forget. It makes no difference if you're a worship leader in one of the biggest churches in the Metroplex. It makes no difference. You forget who you are. But when you learn who you are, then you become a different person. So praise God. Thank you, Lord, for setting that young man free. Now then, we see here that he says, I must speak because... He says that if a man, if you're older, you should have this breath of God in you. You should have this information in you. And when you have this, you should be able, willing to give it. But since you guys didn't have it, I have it. And so he said, I'm going to speak and I have to give you my answer. And I won't play favorites and I will not flatter anyone. 
Because if I tried to flatter anybody or play favorites, he said, my creator, which is God, would do away with me. I don't want him to do away with me yet. Do you, Gina? I'm going to live a whole lot longer, right? So then let's look at what Elihu says here. Elihu, he presents his case against Job. He says, listen, Job, to what I have to say, now that I have begun to speak, let me continue to speak with all sincerity. I speak the truth, for the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Answer me if you can. Make your case and take your stand. Okay, so he's putting Job on the stand. He says, look, you and I are the same before God. Now, this is true. All of us, I too was formed from clay. In other words, every one of us, you and I can never stand before someone else and say, look at me, I'm better than you are. I'm better than you because I was born in America. Or I'm better than you because I'm whatever. I'm a different nationality, creed, color, race. It don't make any difference. You can never say you're better than somebody else because God made us all out of clay. Every one of us. And we stand before Him as His children. So don't try to go there about those kind of things. Because if you do, however you judge other people, you will be judged. You know, you don't want that to happen to you. Look, you and I are the same before God. I too was formed from clay, so you don't need to be afraid of me. I am not some great person to make you nervous and afraid. Now then, as I learn these things, that's why I don't care if, well, I always live my life like that. Whenever I was out there working for the, as an engineer in the business world, I didn't care if it was the lowest paid person in our establishment and the lowest paid people were the ones that had the dirtiest jobs. Those that swept the floors, cleaned the place, or those that worked in the dishroom, the hottest jobs there was, the, some of the hardest work was the ones that paid the least amount of money. But you had some people that were managers and business and VPs and, and CEOs and everything else well, it made absolutely no difference to me. I learned a long time ago that I didn't care what color you was, what creed you was, or what your job was, or nothing else. God helped me accountable to treat everybody exactly the same. So, <clears throat> I learned that I had to do that, and I did that. <clears throat> so, one day, I had a VP that I told him, I said, you know, just like here, we're not supposed to show any favoritism. We're not supposed to do anything. We're supposed to do the same to everybody. It's amazing how you have to get people's attention sometimes, though, because the VP, which was over the organization, I knew his job was to make money for the company. But sometimes you can go over the limit. And so the dishroom, which was so hot in the summertime, 100, 103, 104, 105 degrees in the dishroom in, in the daytime in the afternoon. No air conditioning. So, I told him one day, I said, you know, we really need to put, you know, I said for about $10,000, I could put a couple of nice air conditioners in here that would lower the temperature at least to 80 degrees where it would be bearable for these people. Now, Thurman, it costs too much money. Well, he walked through there with his suit and tie on, and man, he wouldn't stay there but a minute, and he's gone. 
One day I was down there, was working in that area, and he'd come by, and he stood there and talked to me a few minutes. He said, my land's this hot in here. I said, that's what I've been trying to tell you. I said, these people need air conditioning. I said, he said, how much you say you could put air conditioning in here for? I said, about 10000 He said, oh, that's too much. I can't afford it. And he left. So I went up on the roof that day, and I turned the disconnect off on his air conditioner in his office. <laughs> In about an hour, he calls it. Thurman, it's getting extremely hot upstairs up here in my office. I said, okay, when I get time, I'll check it. So about an hour later, he calls it. Have you checked my air conditioner? I said, no, sir. I'm down here working with these people in the dishroom where it's 100 plus. And I said, it's really hot down here. So I didn't figure that, you know, you could probably stand it up there since you're up there. He said, Thurman, it's 85 degrees in my office. I said, Okay, okay. I said, why don't you come down here a little while where it's really nice and try to see what we're working in. So he come down there in a little while. He said, he stood, stayed down there about three or four or five minutes and sweat. He's got a shirt on, you know, with a tie, and he left his suit coat upstairs. He said, my lens, I don't see how you stand it in this place. I said, well, you know, it's hot down here. I told you it's hot down here, but all these people, I said, they work in this all day, every day. I said, was it hot up there in your office at 85? He said, man, I can't stand it up there. I said, it's only 85 up there. You know, it's cool. I said, let's mean you go back up there. Walked up one of his office and it's 85. He said, it sure does feel a whole lot better here than it does down there. I said, just think, for a measly little one-time deal of $10,000, I can fix those people's and put an air conditioner where it'll be at least this cool or maybe cooler down there for them. Okay, he said, spend the money. I said, okay. I said, I'll have your air conditioner fixed in five minutes. <laughs> so I went and turned his disconnect back on. And that afternoon he said, what in the world? How did you get my air conditioner fixed so quick? And then I told him what I did. He said, Thurman. <laughs> he said, if you wasn't such a good engineer, I'd run you off. <laughs> but I said, sir, I learned a long time ago that we're all flesh and blood. And I said, you forget, since you have this position of power, you forget that you're flesh and blood. And so I said, I did this to you to let you suffer a little so you would see how those people down there suffered. And I said, now then, you see, you only went through it just a little and you never got above 85. But these people work at 103 to 105 every afternoon, all afternoon long, and they're soaking wet when they go home. There's not a dry thread on them nowhere. I said, nobody should punish their people like that. You know, so I said, that's why I did what I did. He said, well, you sure got my attention. I said, okay. Now then, see, I had to have the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God in me to know that that company knew how good I was at what I did because if I did that to a VP and he didn't like me, he would have fired me. You know that? But I knew that he knew that I knew what I was doing. And he knew that. And he knew I'd saved that company thousands and thousands of dollars. And so I did that to get his attention. And, and he listened. But see, when you realize that you're flesh and blood, it makes no difference whether it was him, the VP, or the little guy that works downstairs that was working for, at that time, 5 or $6 an hour. That guy is flesh and blood just like he is. And so when one of us suffer, we all suffer. So that's why we have to work together in love to try to make things work for the benefit of everybody involved. Now then, 
Elihu is saying here, I'm going to speak with all sincerity and I'm going to speak the truth. For the Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Now, if you're a child of God, you belong to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that same breath is supposed to be in you. You're supposed to be speaking the words of God. Now, then, if you're feeding into yourself the Word of God, when you have something to say to someone, what's going to come out? The Word of God. And will it be correct? Yes, because it's God's Word and it will give that person their exact answer. It will be what they need. But what if you're spending one hour a week going to church or maybe two hours a week going to church, hearing a message 30 minutes long or maybe even 45 minutes long on Sunday morning, and that's all of the Word of God that you get, and then you don't read or study God's Word the rest of the week, but every evening when you get home at 6, you have dinner and sit down by 7 or 8 and watch TV till 10 or 11. Did you know there's a lot of people that do that? They will watch television two, three, four, and five hours every night, and they're feeding the junk of the world into their heart, and they want to know why they can't walk with God, why they don't ever get a prayer answered. Or they come in on Sunday afternoon, they leave church, and go by and have dinner and pick up the Dallas Morning News, and maybe the uh, Fort Worth uh, Tribune, or whatever it's called, I don't even know, but they will take those newspapers and they'll go home and they'll watch something on television and in, at the commercials read the newspaper. And I've been over to people's house with newspapers scattered all over while they're watching. In fact, I went to one guy's house one time not too long ago to talk to him about getting healed. And he had three television sets on and then watching three football games at the same time. Three. I couldn't believe this. I thought, wow. I mean, he's watching this one and then this one and this one. I thought, man, if you put that kind of intensity into the Word of God, wow. You know, if he'd have turned him on three different Christian stations and watched three at a time, he might have learned something. But when he went home at the end of the day, he didn't have anything in him except the world. You can't have nothing there but the world. So you can't have the Word of God in you if you spend one hour on Sunday morning with God and the rest of it with the world. So he, he, although he may be a Christian, a professing Christian, he'll be like Job's friends. He has no intelligence from God. Because God's not going to reveal himself to you if you don't spend more time than that with him. In fact, one of the things nearly everybody that calls that Dave gets to talk to out the ministry center, if they're having trouble getting healed, you know what his first answer or first question to them is? What is your quiet time like with God? How much time do you spend with God? And you know what most people's answer is? Not enough. When they say that, they're automatically convicted by the Holy Ghost that they don't have enough of time with God. So they don't have any intelligence from God. The breath of the Almighty is not giving them the life that they need. And he says, answer me if you can. Answer me if you can. Make your case and take your stand. Look, you and I are the same before God. I was formed from clay, so you don't need to be afraid of me. I am not some great person to make you nervous and afraid. You have said it in my hearing. Now listen, little Edahu was walking in the community where Job was walking. 
How many of you know that when you're walking in a community or you're around, if you're out the minister center, you know what I'm made out of. You see everything and hear everything I do. You know, just like Cheryl, she used to say when I was up here as a pastor, when she was sitting out there, she said, wow, I wonder what it would be like to be married to a perfect man. And then she married me and found out I wasn't perfect. See, But when she was sitting out there, she didn't know me. She didn't live with me. But when she lives with me, she finds out I've got a few flaws. She did say something the other day I really appreciated. She said, you're a diamond in a rough, and God's knocking off the rough spots. I said, thank you, Lord. At least I'm getting there. Still got a few little sharp edges here and there, but at least she says he's polishing you. That made me feel real good. At least I got a few smooth spots now. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for those few smooth spots. But look what little Elihu says. Job, you have said in my hearing. I've heard you say this. I've heard your very words. You and I, you said, I am pure. I am innocent. I have not sinned. I've heard you say that, he said. I'm clean and pure. I don't sin. You know, I'm not going to sin. It says, God is picking a quarrel with me. I mean, God is attacking me. I mean, he has no right to do this. But God is picking a quarrel with me. And he, God, he is, considers me to be his enemy. God considers me to be his enemy because he's attacking me. I've heard you say that. He's put my feet in the stocks and he watches every move I make. In this, you are not right. Ooh, this little guy is telling In this, you are not right. And I will show you why. As you yourself have said... God is greater than any person. Okay? Job has acknowledged the fact, and Elihu has heard him say, God is greater than any person. So why are you bringing a charge against him? Why are you charging God with this? You say, he does not respond to people's complaints. Job's complaining. Do you think God likes complaining? No, not at all. But Job is complaining, God, you're not hearing me. I mean, I have not sinned. I've not done anything wrong. But God speaks again and again, through pe- though people do not recognize it. Now, listen carefully to what we're fixing to talk about. This is the revelation that jumped off the page at me today. God speaks again and again, through though people do not recognize it. Well, how does he speak to us again and again that we don't recognize it? He speaks in dreams, in visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on people as they lie in bed. He whispers in their ear and terrifies them with his warnings. Anybody ever have a dream? <laughs> All of us have dreams. We dream. Who would ever think about God giving you a dream? Has anybody ever had a vision? Yeah, I've had lots of them. And some of you have too. And you, a lot of times you have them or you have a dream and you think, man, that dream terrified me. That was scary. Well, who did this say was speaking to you through that? God was. He's trying to get your attention. 
He's trying to tell you something and He's trying to show you where you've missed it. And He wants you to hear and listen to what He's saying. And He's talking to you through your dreams and through visions and you don't even recognize it. In other words, you don't change your way. You keep doing what you were doing, although He's talking to you through a dream. And He's telling you something to do and you won't do it. You can't believe God would want you to do something like this. But he says there he terrifies you with his dream, with these dreams. And you don't acknowledge it. You don't recognize it. But he's talking to you, to everybody through dreams and visions. And he warms them. He causes them to change their minds. Now, when you have these dreams and visions... And you're terrified by these things and you know this was something you're not supposed to do. You know, he causes them to change their minds. Did you know there's been times I've had a dream about something when I was going to go do something the day, the next day. And I had a dream about that night and I said, I don't know what, I don't know what that dream about, but I ain't going. I ain't going. Some of us have had those. God was trying to save our life. You know, or you have many times I hear this. Thurman, will you pray for me for my husband? How long have you been married? 25 years. Well, what's wrong with your husband? Well, he's not a Christian. Well, were you a Christian when you married him? Yes. And I had a dream about this man before I married him, and the dream said he's the wrong one. I said, well, then why did you marry him? Who was that trying to tell this woman? It was God. Through a dream, he's trying to tell her, don't marry him. He's not the one I picked for you. But I thought he was the most wonderful man. And I married him and it's been hell ever since. Why do you think she had the dream? And then when she tells me, I had a dream just three weeks before I got married. And in the dream, the dream told me he was not the right one. Isn't that amazing? God's trying to get our attention through dreams and visions and we don't listen. I mean, you have a dream tonight and you know you're going to go to South Texas tomorrow on vacation. And the dream says... Don't go this week. Wait till next week. Ah, that was just, you know, that was just a, that was just a dream. And it couldn't be nothing. I'm going. And so you get down there on the way down and you have a car wreck and get hurt and all kinds of stuff. Just like here a while back, somebody was telling me they was going to pull off the freeway and help somebody. But yet they heard something say, don't pull off and help them. I thought, you know, that couldn't be God. You know, couldn't be God because He told us to have people. So they went ahead and pulled off anyway. And as they were getting out of the car, a car swerved to miss another car and hit them and almost killed one of the people. And it tore up their car. And one of them was in the hospital for a long, long time. I guess that was just a coincidence that something told them not to stop and help them. Reckon? Who do you think that was? That was God trying to warn them not to stop. But they wouldn't listen. Start listening to dreams and visions. The Word of God says He speaks to us through dreams and visions. When you have a dream, don't just slough it off. When you wake up in the morning and say, Wow, I had a dream last night. Let me try to figure out what God's trying to tell me with this dream. Because it said here, He even terrifies us with dreams and visions. And He warns us and causes us to change our mind. Now it says, after He causes us to change our minds, He keeps them from pride. When you change your mind 
it keeps you from getting into pride. One of the things I was talking about to a couple of preachers just recently, I told them, I said, you know, I think one of the reasons that God does not release His power to us is because He knows if we did, and we started walking in that great anointing, He knows what it would do. It would bring our pride level up, and we think we're doing all this. You know, we think we're the ones that's doing these things. So we get real prideful and say, oh, there goes Pastor Thurman. He is such a man of God. Woo, I hear that, and I say, man, that makes me feel good. Woo, well, if that makes me feel good and I put my thumb under my arm, God's going to say, oh, yeah, you think you're doing it, are you? Well, I'm going to withdraw, and I'm not going to do nothing for you no more. I don't share my glory with nobody. And from that day forth, I can't get nobody healed. Or, oh, he said, now you found out you need me. Well, I learned a long time ago I need Him. I can't do nothing without Him, can we, Dave? But with Him, there ain't nothing impossible as long as we give Him the glory and the praise. Man, it's wonderful to serve God and know that He's in charge. But He's, he's warning us. He's, he's convicting us of sin. He's convicting us of pride. We don't want to go there. And He keeps us from this pride. Because pride, when you get proudful, God withdraws from you. He said he hates the pride, hates pride, but he draws close if you're humble. Well, I don't know about you, but I need him real close, real close. And so I don't want to go there in that pride. And by doing that, he said he he keeps them from the grave. Okay, if you get prideful, what's that going to do to you? It's going to kill you. He just said it was. If you get into pride, it's not going to be long you're going to die. So he keeps them from pride, and by keeping them from pride, he keeps them from the grave and from crossing over the river of death. What's he trying to do with these dreams and visions? He's trying to get our attention, warning us to keep us from dying. Now, what if we don't yield to him? Then you die early. He's doing all these things to warn us in dreams and visions to keep us from pride and keep us out of sin so that we won't have to die. Because when we get into sin, as the New Testament tells us over and over and over, that sin brings forth death. And we don't want to die early. We want to live a long time. We want to grow to be old people. We want to grow up to see our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, you know, and teach them about God. You know, because if you take an older grandparent... They are supposed to have the God kind of wisdom. And all of us know that when you have your children, if they get married at 18 or 20 and start having babies, how much of God's kind of wisdom do most 20-year-olds have? Maybe not quite zero, but it ain't far from it. And it's amazing, you know, how little of that God kind of wisdom we have because when we're young, we're too busy about getting our education and all the stuff, and we're not thinking about God very much as a rule. In fact, most of us are running around out there just doing everything but seeking God when you're 20 years old. And so, it's, it's, it's awful. It's just awful what happens to us. Then he says here, he causes them to change their minds. He keeps them from pride. He keeps them from the grave and from crossing over the river of death. Okay, now what if he can't get your attention there? What if He sends you the dream? What if He sends the visions? What if He sends all this and you don't yield to anything? Then look what He says happens. 
if you don't yield to this, then he said, or, in other words, if you don't yield to what he's saying, he said, or, God disciplines his people with sickness and pain. In other words, if he can't get your attention with dreams and visions, God does not want to send sickness and disease to your house. This kind of is a last result. He's trying his best for his children to warn you in dreams and visions. I mean, but you yourself as a parent, do you usually try to warn your children saying, son or daughter, don't go do this or don't do that. You know, don't, you know, do whatever. Because if you tell them once or twice or three times and then they don't do what you say, then what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to discipline them with a switch. And nobody likes that. Nobody likes that. But unfortunately, if you love your children, you have to discipline them with a switch. And there's sometimes they are not going to listen to you unless you use the switch. And sometimes when you use the switch, they still don't listen. You have to use it two or three or four times. And that's what's so devastating. But so right here, God is trying His best to get our attention by revealing Himself to us what we're doing wrong with dreams and visions. He's terrifying us with dreams, and we still don't listen. Then He says, if you don't listen, I still don't want you to go to the grave. I'm not ready, so I'm going to send sickness and disease. It says, if you don't listen to the dreams and visions, which will snatch you out of the jaws of death. Then He says, if you don't listen to that, then or God disciplines His people with sickness and pain, with ceaseless aching in their bones. <clears throat> that sounds like cancer or something, doesn't it? And then it goes on down, and you, it really looks like that. It says they lose their appetite and do not care even for the most delicious foods. Have you ever been sick? And somebody brings in something that was so beautiful and you didn't even feel like eating it. Have you ever been that sick? Sure. Everybody has been. I've done that too. I mean, I've been down and sick and had something and get to feeling awful. And, and somebody come over and bring me a, a beautiful a bowl of soup or stew or whatever or whatever. Or maybe a wonderful dessert or whatever. And normally I'd love that. Even when I'm not hungry, I would love that. But today I ain't had nothing to eat in three days and I'm sick and afflicted. And I look at it and I say, ooh, that just turned my stomach. I can't even think about eating that. But see, the Lord says when He sends these kind of things to you, even that you, you'll lose your appetite and you do not even care for the most delicious food. I don't want to be that sick no more. Do you? No, I don't want to be that sick no more. They waste away to skin and bones. You ever seen anybody like that? You ever been to a hospital and see somebody that their legs about that big around? Ain't nothing left but a bone and skin? Yeah, I see it all the time. I go meet with people that their little arms are dried up. There ain't no meat on them. You know what I mean? They're just skin and bones. It says they waste away to skin and bones. They are at death's door. The angels of death wait for them. In other words, these hounds of hell are there to get them, the angels of death. Why are they like this? Who's sending this? God is sending this to discipline His people. Is that what He said? So how can you prevent this? 
How can you not be there? How can you not be sick? Obey Him. When He sends a dream or a vision, and you heed the warning. Hey, when you heed the warning, in other words, just like this woman that I told you about a while ago that came up here and asked me for prayer for her husband. 25 years she'd been married and asked her if he was a Christian. She said, no. And I said, well, were you a Christian when you married him? She said, yes, I was. And I knew that I wasn't supposed to be unequally yoked. And even I dream three weeks before I'm not supposed to marry this man, but I married him anyway. Now then, once she disobeyed God and everything he told her, what do you think he's going to do for her now? You think that for 25 years living in the terror that she lived in, she has suffered something she, God didn't want her to suffer? Did he try to warn her? Yes. Did she heed the warning? No. And so she's lived in that terror. Now, if you're God's child and you start to do something that does not line up with his word, he's going to warn you somehow, some way. Either somebody's going to come up to you and say, I don't think you should do this. You say, ah, well, it's none of your business. I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. Now then, if God, let's say, say you're a woman, and God sends another woman to you, and she's talking to you, and you say, well, I think I'm going to move to Houston. I don't like the job I'm here. So, well, you know, just something, just something that not right, that just doesn't line up in my spirit. And if this woman's a really a godly woman, she said, you know, I just don't believe you ought to move to Houston at this time. I believe you ought to seek God a little bit first. Why are you going to go down there? Well, I've met this guy, you know, and man, he's such a wonderful guy. I think I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to go down there and I'm going to so I can be close to him. Now, if this godly woman is telling you that something didn't line up here, you really need to listen. And then you need to go seek God yourself and start praying, Lord, what should I do? Lord, send me a dream or something tonight or tomorrow night. Let me know, you know, should I go down there or should I not go down there? And if he sends you a dream and that dream shows you something terrible might happen or whatever, or something that might happen in the future, showing you that you might walk up to the edge of a cliff and fall off of it, he's trying to tell you don't go. You need to take that dream and run it over in your mind and your heart and see what God's trying to tell you because He's trying to tell you something to keep you from going the wrong direction. He talks to us through dreams and visions. He warns us and terrifies us about things that we're going to do wrong to keep us from death's door. What if we don't heed Him? Then you didn't listen. You know, the Scriptures are completely full of stories about people that God appeared to and told them what to do, and they didn't do it. Didn't do it. Just like the other day, whenever we spoke about Balaam, you know, I went back and read those Scriptures several more times, and that's very clear to me. I understand completely in detail what happened to Balaam. I understand now when he said Balaam was there for the money. That's what he was in it for, the money. I didn't understand it, but I do now, but I had to read it many more times to get that. It says that when that king sent his ambassadors over to talk to Balaam and sent a bunch of money and said, come and curse this group of people that's crossing our land. He said, well, first I've got to ask God. Now, that's the first thing he did right. And that night he asked God and God spoke to him and told him, no, I have blessed this nation. You are not to curse them. So he told him the next morning, I'm sorry, you know, I can't do anything. I can't curse them. God told me not to. 
Now, does God change His mind? No, He don't change His mind. You don't have to come back and ask Him again. If your daughter comes up and says, Daddy, can I borrow the car tonight to go town? You say, no, I'm going to use it. Well, she comes back 30 minutes later and says, Daddy, if you change your mind, I need to use the car. No, I ain't changed my mind. 30 minutes later, she comes back and says, Daddy, I need to use the car. Say, look, not only can you not use it tonight, you can't use it all week. I told you, that's it. You can't use the car. Now, you can't use it for a week. Ah, she gets all upset. Hey, you got to teach them. You know, they can't keep coming back and asking you when you make a decision. The decision is right there. Yes, you mean what you say. You're not going to change your mind. If you are, they learn you're wishy-washy and you don't mean nothing you say. So you're going to raise up kids that are going to be hard to control. You can't tell them one thing, one thing, and 30 minutes later, change your mind. If you do, you're going to raise up children that's going to put you to the test every time they don't get what they want. So you can't go there. But God don't change his mind. But with Balaam, when Balak heard this, he said, well, let's send more money. Does people think you can buy? Sure. So they sent the prophet more money. He told him, he said, you know, if you sent me a castle full of silver and gold, if God don't tell me to do right, I couldn't curse this nation. But he said, spend the night and I'll ask him one more time. And so he did. He asked him again. And God said, well, I'll tell you what. If they come back in the morning, you can go with them. But he didn't tell him you could curse them. He said, if, you come ba- if they come back in the morning, you can go with them. Well, the next morning, all night long, he's meditating on this, running this over in his mind. He's saying about all this money they're going to pay him to go. Did you know that when you start talking about another nation sending a bunch of silver and gold to buy you, the average person gets to look in at that money. You know, wow, that money, that would be great. They're going to give me a building full of silver and gold. So he wakes up the next morning and they're not there. But he says, I'm going to go anyway because I'm thinking about that money they're going to give me. So when he got on his donkey and started to go and they hadn't come, the Scripture says God was furious with him. And he sent an angel to kill him. How would you like for God to send an angel to kill you? But if you're disobedient and God tells you to do something and you do it your way instead of his way, guess what he'll do? He'll send an angel to kill you. Now then, when he sends an angel to kill you, you won't know, and the, the, the secular world that we live in, if you're riding your donkey going down the road and you fall over with a heart attack dead, they won't never know what happened. If you're driving your car and your heart stops, you run off of a cliff and it kills you, they think, what a shame. Thurman got killed in a car wreck today. I wonder what happened to him. Well, God... If I was disobedient and going to do something he told me specifically not to do, and it was going to be devastating to his empire, he'll send an angel to stop you. He, he did Balaam. One of his prophets, he sent an angel. And the angel was going to cut his head off, you know, which would, of course, naturally the sword, that invisible being, he was going to do something. If he run that sword through his heart, that spiritual sword, but that angel went that through, guess what's going to happen to his heart? It's going to stop. He's going to die. Well, that's when his little donkey kept trying to do all the things to save his life. And, you know, and of course, it did finally save his life. But he got the message. If it hadn't been for that little donkey telling him what God said, you know, he'd have been a dead man. 
but he was interested in that money. So I'm going to tell you, don't let money become your God. It'll kill you. I mean, if you got it, fine. Use it for the glory of God. But don't let it get a hold of you. Because if it gets a hold of you, man, you're in trouble. So, you'll be at death's door like these angels here are waiting. But it says here, it says, They lose their appetite. They do not care for even the most delicious food. They waste away to skin and bones. They are at death's door, and the angels of death wait for them. Now, this is a sad place to be. But as a minister of the gospel, we see people like this all the time. We minister to them all the time. Now, I like the next verse. Now, the first part of this, I don't like. I don't want to go there. What did, what did I have to do to get into this verse and become a part of this verse? I had to become a sinner. I had to get into pride or something. I had to do something that upset God. I mean, I had to go through my dreams and visions and not accept them, not acknowledge the terrifying dreams that He sent. I had to totally throw away the warnings that God was warning me. Even when somebody walk up to me in church and say something, you need to change this or do this, I said, I've got to say, no, I ain't listening to that. What's, what's that guy know? You know, he don't know nothing. You know, it's real easy if somebody comes up to you. I've got to where I listen to what everybody tells me. I don't care who they are. I don't care if they're the most unspiritual person or the most spiritual person. I listen to what they're telling me. And when they tell me something, I say, Lord, when I walk away, I say, Lord, are you trying to tell me something here? I mean, am I doing something that I need to know? Because, you know, it's not very often, it's really not very often that God will send a Ph.D. from the seminary up to you and say, you're doing something wrong. Usually, if a Ph.D. tells me I'm doing something wrong, I'm doing something right. You know, that's unfortunate, you know, but that seems to be the way it is. But if just a little insignificant person walks up and tells me something, I really listen. Because God, He takes those people that seem to be the least capable of telling me something, and they get my attention. So I listen. When you talk to me and tell me something, I listen. You know, I'm not going to say, oh, you're nobody. Oh, you're, you're, you're made out of clay just like I am. And God can speak out of your mouth like He can anybody's. And so... I try to listen because I don't know about you, but I'm, I'd like to live a long time yet. You know, I'm enjoying living and have so much fun living. I want to live a long time. I'm really having fun living. You know it? Life is good. But if. Now, usually sometimes if he says but and if together, sometimes I really don't like it. But this case I do. But. If a special messenger from heaven is there to intercede for a person, to declare that he is upright, God will be gracious and say, set him free. Ooh. Don't you like to be that special person? Deborah's over there just smiling all over, shaking her head. She likes to be that special messenger that God will send to somebody and say, we've got a ransom for you and it's Jesus. If you'll just believe, I've learned how to walk in faith and Jesus paid the price for your sins. And if you'll let me pray for you and you'll repent of your sins, He will forgive you and heal you. 
when that special messenger comes. And don't we love to be that special messenger that he sends? When we are sent by God, it says here, but if a special messenger... Well, if you're a man or a woman of God walking in obedience to God's Word, you're one of a few today on this earth. You know how many... First of all, you know how many Christians there probably are on this earth out of the number of people? Not very many. In fact, Rosemary told me something. To, was it yesterday or today? Yesterday. yesterday. Rosemary told me something yesterday she heard on the radio. I guess on the way out. I don't know where she heard it, but didn't you say you heard it on the radio? Yeah. She said they made an announcement on the radio that the Democrats and the news media want all the Christians to stay away from the polls at this election because we're too radical. Isn't that amazing? They want the Christians to stay away from the polls because we're too radical. Well, if there was ever a time when every Christian should vote, it's this election. I mean, we need to go in there and vote for what's right. You know, I mean, it's, it's been a lot of years since the Democrats have had any kind of a person that was, that was you know, there's none of them believe in the things we believe in as Christians, hardly none. Maybe a few, but there's not very many. Very few people that are hooked up with the Democratic Party today believe in Christian things. But there's a lot of those others don't either. A lot of them. You know, so all I got to say is we really need to try our best to keep somebody that's a man of God in there because it's so it's just so amazing. If we could just get a real true man of God and we could get nine justices that were really men of God. Oh, if we could only do that, how we could change this nation. But if this nation if this nation would become the men and women of God, then we would vote for those kind of people and we'd have them in office. But as long as we're walking where we're walking today, we're going to have in office what we are like. You know, you can't have a majority of the people living in sin and expect to have a president and a whole bunch of congressmen and representatives and everything, justices that are going to be holy and filled with the Spirit of God. I mean... It's just not going to happen. So we got our work cut out for us. There's no two ways about it. But if a special messenger from heaven, one of us, a son or daughter of God, is there to intercede for a person, we intercede for people. You've got to pray the prayer of faith for people. It says to declare that he is upright. In other words, Jesus is the only upright one I know that's totally, completely upright. We've got Him today. It says, if we stand in the gap in the name of Jesus and by the blood, by faith in the name of Jesus, it says God will be gracious and say, set Him free. Now look what He says after He says, set Him free. Do not make Him die, for I have found a ransom for His life. Who was that ransom? Jesus. It was our King. He paid the price so that when we confess our sins, He is righteous and just to forgive our sins and to restore us to fellowship. Hey, I am grateful for the blood, aren't you? I am so grateful for the blood of Jesus. Because of the blood of Jesus, we can repent of our sins and then stand on the Word and receive our healing. Now then, what if we say 
that we're going to forgive and, or, and get right with God. And we do. And then the person comes and intercedes and we pray and we get well. And say we're well for six months or a year. Or maybe it takes a little longer for us to forget. And maybe it's three or four or five years. And then all of a sudden you think, well, I was sick back there for a while, but it was just a coincidence. I mean, because I held an unforgiveness toward my mother couldn't be what made me sick. So mother just said something last week that really offended me. So this time I'm going to really tell her how it is. And you really tell her how it is, and the next week or next month, your sickness comes back upon you. You ain't had it in five years. But now then, you know the truth. And you've experienced it. And you've had that special messenger from heaven come and intercede over you. And you get that ransom of Jesus. And you get healed. And then you walk for two or three or four or five years, and you're studying the Word. And you forget, and you really get into unforgiveness. And God sends another dream. You better straighten your act up. No, God, that's just, that's just a freak coincidence that I had a dream like that. I'm never forgiving my mother. In fact, I'm going to get even with her. And you die with cancer in three months. Everybody in the world prayed for you this time. I mean, you had some of the finest prayer warriors. You called them all out. And they prayed for you, and nothing happened. And you died. Why did that happen? Because you knew the truth. You had been healed before. God had showed you through His Word. And then you totally turned your back on Him. See, we don't believe that Scripture that says, after you've known the truth. If you turn again to your sins and sin willfully after you've known the truth, there's no more sacrifice for the sin. Only the fearful judgment of God to come upon you. I don't know about you, but I don't want that. If God tries to whisper in my ear and say, Thurman, I say, yes, Lord, I'm listening. <laughs> I'm listening, Lord. What do you have to say? He said, you better straighten your act up. You know, let's say I started being mean to my honey bunny. <laughs> but if I did. If I started being mean to her or something, and he whispers, Son, you better straighten your act up. I said, No, Lord, she deserves it. She's been mean to me, so I'm just going to get her. What do you think he's liable to do to me? We don't want to try it, do we, Ty? Ain't no way we ain't going to try that because we know God. What can God do to you? All he's got to do is just snap his finger and it's over. And that's all he's got to do in today. Woo! I mean, when you get a hold of the way God operates, just like Elihu was talking about, when an older man or any man begins to understand the way God operates. And how are you going to learn how God operates? Reading this book. If you read this book, you can't miss what God is doing here. That's just like the other night, Dave was at somebody's house and somebody said something about, well, God allowed this to happen. And Dave said, nope, I used, to, I used to would have agreed with you, but I said, not anymore. He said, I'm reading the book now. And he said, I'm going to tell you there ain't nothing happens except God does it. If it happens, God does it. He is in total control, isn't he, Dave? 
Nobody gets sick. Nobody dies. No bird falls to the ground. He knows every hair on your head. God is in control. And I'm certainly glad because just like Dave says, since I found out that God's totally in control and nothing can happen to me, all I got to do is make one happy. If I keep God happy, then He promises to keep the devil from me and I don't have to worry about rebuking the devil or nothing. All I got to do is just walk in obedience to the Word and He keeps me healthy and provides for me every, and meets the desires of my heart every way. All I got to do is keep the King happy. That's all it takes. When you do it His way, love Him and worship Him and praise Him, He will do wonderful things for you. And He will keep you healthy. And I love being healthy. Thank you, Jesus. I love being healthy. Wow, do I ever. This is, then his body, after this person has found this ransom, he said, then his body will become as healthy as a child's, firm and youthful again. Wow. The body, after you pray and intercede, the body will be restored because you found the ransom, which is Jesus. You interceded, and that person gets well. Wow. When he prays to God, he will be accepted. After you find that ransom, and you stand in faith, when you talk to the Lord, when you talk to Him in faith, He will answer your prayer. He will hear your prayer, and He will do great and wonderful things. But you and I need to walk and do this in the God kind of love. We need to do it in love. Now, don't forget, everybody may not be where you are in faith. Some of them may have little faith. You know, they might have just be getting started in the faith movement. So be gentle and kind with people. If you have trouble getting them healed and they can't receive it, don't reach up and grab them by the collar and slap them three times and say, if you only had faith, you could get well. You know? Now, there have been a few preachers that have been preaching for 30 years. I felt like doing that too, but I've never done it yet. <laughs> and I have never will either. Because I think, Lord, except for your grace and your speaking to me years ago, there go I. I would not have that kind of faith. And I'm so grateful that you called me and told me these things because if you hadn't, I wouldn't have known them either. So, if you, if you have anything, all you can do is praise God for it because you have it because He gave it to you. You can't take no credit for it yourself. Only Him. Then He says, then he says when you pray to God, he, you will be accepted and God will receive you and with joy and restore Him to good standing. He will declare to His friends, I sinned. Listen to this. I sinned, but it was not worth it. I went the ways of the world, but it was not worth it. I fell by the wayside. I got into unforgiveness, but it wasn't worth it. I talked evil about my friends or my family or whoever, but it wasn't worth it. So I ain't going to do it no more. God rescued me from the grave. And now my life is filled with light. I'm going to tell you that when you got a loved one, and you think they're going to die. I mean, if you're a man or woman of God, and your mate is fixing to die, if there was ever a time you can humble yourself and get on your face before God and say, God, if I've sinned anywhere, Lord, I ask forgiveness. Please, God, don't take away my mate. I need him or her. You know, 
But the thing about it is, don't walk in sin and you won't have to be there. Walk in obedience to His Word and then and, and believe and, and stand on His Word. Walk in love. You've got to walk in love. That, that's where the power is at. Walking in love. Love everybody. And now he says, I sinned, but it was not worth it. God rescued me from the grave, and now my life is filled with light. Well, I, that's where I am right now in my life. I'm filled with light. I want to be continually filled with light. I don't want any darkness in me. I want to continue to walk for many, many years. I want to be filled with the light of God. I want to be a blessing to people, don't you, Deborah? Yeah. I want to be a blessing to people. I want to do a good job for the king. I want to walk into God kind of love. I want to see the king answer my prayers. I want to see him answer your prayers. And I want to see him do great and wonderful things through your life. It says, yes, God often does these things for people. He rescues them from the grave. He said, you see, he says he often does them. But he doesn't do it every time. Because what if you send the sin unto death? There ain't no hope for you. If you've sinned the sin unto death, let's say that you, well, I'll just use this unforgiveness since this is one of the most devastating things. You got into unforgiveness and you was in it big time and it brought you to this point, nearly to the grave. Then somebody come by and interceded for you and prayed for you and said, told you that, you know, your sin of unforgiveness toward your parents, this is what's put you here. You need to honor your mother and your father. And you repent and God heals you and you get well. And a year or two later, you get into unforgiveness or start talking evil about your parents again. Do you know that if you do that, it depends on how far into it you go. But if God makes that decision, okay, I've had it. I've told you not to do that. I've healed you before. Now, this time you've sinned to sin unto death. He says in His Word, I tell you, you need not pray about that because I'm not going to answer the prayer. He said that in First John. I tell you, if they sin to sin unto death, you don't need to pray about that because I'm not going to hear your prayer. I don't want to go there, do you? I don't want to send the sin unto death. Somebody said, well, good grief, tell me what the sin unto death is and I won't ever do it. I don't know. I don't know. That's why he didn't tell us. Because if he told you that a given sin was a sin unto death, if you was any kind of intelligence at all, you would never send that sin. Would you? No. But this way he just told you don't sin because sin leads to death. Now, it might be that a sin of lying one time might not lead you to death. But 50 times might be the sin unto death. So, I don't know. But we do know that lying is one of the things He told us not to do. And if we do it long enough, it's got to bring forth death. So, maybe it only shortens your life 20 years. But, hey, I don't want to shorten mine 20 years. Especially when I read the part over in Revelation where it says, All liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. I don't want to be a liar. Do you? No, I don't want to have no part in the lake of fire. I want to spend time with the king in heaven. But yes, God often does these things for people. He rescues them from the grave so that they may live in the light of the living. Mark this well, Job. Listen to me. You can put your name there. And let me say more. But if you have anything else to say, go ahead. I want to hear it. For I am anxious to see you justified. But if not, then listen to me, keep silent, and I will teach you wisdom. 
Now, here's this little young guy, Elihu. He's telling Job, you keep your mouth shut and I'm going to teach you wisdom because I'm filled with the Spirit of God. Now, then you're going to find very few Elihu's. So, when a young man comes to you, even though he may seem very knowledgeable, be very careful with a young person. Be very careful and cautious with young people that appear to be very spiritual. Be very cautious. But by the time they get to be 30, if they've been walking with God 10 or 15 years, then they're a little bit more secure. You know, by the time they get to be 40 or 50, if they're really walking with God and you go back in their life and look at their clean, pure life for the last 20 years, then when they talk to you, listen. Because they probably have something from God to tell you. But, like a man told me one time, he said, Thurman, I'm going to write a a book about marriage and how to stay married. I said, you are? He said, yes. I said, I suggest you not write it. He said, what do you mean? I said, well... You've been married three times. I said, just to tell you the truth, if I was going to read a book about how to stay married, I wouldn't want to read a book a man wrote that had been married three times and now is divorced. I want to read a book about a man that's 60 years old that wrote a book. He's been married for 40 years and he's had a lovely time and raised beautiful children and all of them serving God. That's the kind of man I want to read about. But I said, since you don't have children and you've been married and divorced three times, I suggest you not write this book. So he didn't. Where do you think that wisdom came from? I got, that was the Lord totally speaking through me to that man. You know, you might think, well, he knows how to stay married. No, he don't. If he's been married three times and he's divorced now, he don't know how to stay married. I guarantee he has not learned the secret. And whatever he's learned, I don't want to know what he's learned because what he's learned didn't work. Is that right, Gina? You wouldn't want to read his book either, would you? Let me write a book. Let me tell you, this is Thurman Scrivener. I've been married four times, but I'm going to write a book tell you how to get married and stay married. You say, forget it. No, I ain't reading that book. You know? In other words, if a guy says, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to teach you from God's Word about healing. And somebody said, well, how many people you ever got healed? He said, none. I ain't never seen no miracles, but I'm going to teach you how it works. Forget it. I don't believe I want to hear what you have to say. But if you come over here to a man like maybe T.L. Osborne, let me tell you how miracles work. Well, how many miracles you've seen? Thousands of them all over the world. Wow. Let me read this man's book. Let me read this man's book. I remember when T.L., one of the books I read about him where he went off to some country as a missionary and he was sent by some organization in the States and they didn't believe in these things. So he went and they wouldn't let him preach the Word like he wanted. They wouldn't let him pray for the sick. They wouldn't let him preach about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And so he spent, I think he said he spent a year or two or three in the mission field. 
and nothing happened. And he came back and told his father, suppose that sent him over there, said, you're going to have to let me preach healing and preach the Word, preach the infilling power of the Holy Ghost and all those things. They said, no. So he left the organization. He said, God, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to go in your power with you as my covering. And he went into the world. And anybody that knows anything about anything about the church has heard of T.L. Osborne. You know, that man has walked. Him and his wife, Daisy, they walked. He's about 80-something years old today. We were out at GLC the other day. And one of the young men has got a very good program on GLC. He was out there when I was there. And he was telling me, he said, I just come back from Africa with T.L. He said, I've never seen such a humble man. He said, this man is so humble. And said, he got up and spoke so gently and so loving to thousands of people. And then he just waved his hand and said, the God I serve will heal you if you need to be healed. And he said, miracles happened everywhere. He said, thousands of people got healed. Well, he said, I have never seen anything like that in my life. I thought, wow. He said, I'd never seen nothing like this. But he said, God was there. When T.L. was there, God was there. Why was God there? Because he's a humble servant, 80-something years old, still strong as he can be. Lost his wife already. Daisy, she went home a few years ago to be with Jesus. But he's still preaching the Word. But he's a humble man. And all kinds of people have come against him. But he just loves them all. Walks in love and humility. And God says, that's the kind of man I won't preach in my word. And when he waves his hand, wow, the Spirit of God falls on people and miraculous things happen. Oh, Lord, I want to get where he else got. I want to be like that, Lord. Technically, we want to be like Jesus. That's what we want to be like. But some of these men have got a whole lot closer to God than the rest of us. And he's one of them. He is a great man of God. In fact, I heard him one night when he was on uh, TVN. He said, some, uh, Paul Krauss was there that night, and he said, T.L., what is the greatest miracle you've ever seen God do? Oh, he said, that's easy. He said, I was in India, I think it was. and I best I remember that's where he was. And he said, I was preaching to the people. and said, a woman brought a little boy up and said, I need you to pray for my son to be able to see. He said, I looked down, and the boy had no eyes at all. No openings for eyes. This skin. He said, I laid hands on him and said, Father, in the name of Jesus, would you give this boy eyes? And he said, I said, Lord, thank you for being merciful to this boy. I took my hands off of him and said, immediately, Little eyes opened and slits formed and little things looked like black beads appeared. And the little boy said, Mama, I can see. I can see. And he thought, I thought, what strange looking eyes God made. But this slits just appeared and a black pea looking thing. But he could see. So he went away seeing. He said, we went to the hotel that night in the country, of course, India. He said, we was on an upstairs floor. No no nothing, no windows, no nothing. Back in those days, definitely no air conditioning. He said uh, everything was open. And said the next morning we heard a woman down below said, Brother Osborne, Brother Osborne. And he said, I got up and I looked down there and said, there was that woman with that little boy. He said, everybody was walking around looking at him. And I thought, wow, everybody, she's still telling about what God done with that boy's eyes. 
He said, come down here. Come down here. Okay. So he said, I got up and got my clothes on. I said, I wonder what she's so excited about. He said, I went down there and got there and said, Brother Osborne, you've got to look what God did to my son. He said, well, you're giving them little eyes last night. She said, but look. Turned him around and said, when he turned around, he had eyelashes, eyebrows, everything. Beautiful blue eyes. said, the most beautiful blue eyes I ever saw in my life. What can our God do? Anything we can have faith for, right? Isn't that awesome? But T.L. sees these kind of miracles all the time by the thousands. So if that man writes a book about healing and deliverance, I'll read it. Let me tell you, I'll read it. This man walks in power with the king. He has this godly kind of wisdom that we're talking about here. Like Dave was telling me the other night, it's such a shame that the Word of God says only one in a thousand men have wisdom. Isn't that awful? That's awful. We should all have wisdom. But the Bible says only one in a thousand have wisdom. Where do we get that wisdom? From the Lord. We get it from spending time with the king. If we don't spend time with the king and read, he won't give us this kind of revelation and wisdom. But if you spend that time with him, man, he'll open your understanding to the word and you begin to get to where you know who God is. And you know how he works and you know what pleases him. You know what displeases him. So you don't do anything that displeases him anymore or you try not to. You want to walk in obedience to his word. And when you do, then he, he won't have to send you very many dreams or visions and he won't ever have to put this sickness and disease upon you. You can walk in divine health. And that's where we want to walk, right? Well, what do we have to do to do this? Walk in obedience to the Word. Love Him and love His people. And be loving in kind every day. Because remember, when you leave here tonight, He goes with you. He always knows what you say and do. So don't, don't worry about what you're going to say when you're around the preacher. You know, I, I don't have any impact on your life. You better be nice out there as well as you are in church because when you're out there, God's with you and He will. He's with you all the time. You've got to watch your vocabulary everywhere you are because He's there with you. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank You for this beautiful day. Lord, this has been such a beautiful day. It's so wonderful. I, I see this beautiful rain that we had. Lord, I thank You for all that beautiful rain that fell all over this area. Lord, I praise You and thank You for the beautiful rain that You sent. What a blessing it was. Father, we thank You and praise You for taking care of us, letting the rain fall on the just and the unjust. Because, Lord, we don't deserve it. But, Lord, we're thankful that You give it to us anyway. We're thankful, Lord, that because of the prayers of Your saints, You do hear these prayers and You do send rain to answer because of Your saints. And, Lord, thank You. Help us to walk holy and obedient to your word this week. And help us to share Jesus with others that we come in contact with. And let our lives be an example of you to everybody we come in contact with. And we give you all the praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.